Throughout history, war has been cited as a pretext and justification for unjust and illegal actions. The mass hysteria and widespread paranoia that characterize conflicts often led to the passage of irrational and unconstitutional legislation, which in turn result in gross violations of people's rights. From World War I to World War II, the U.S. government made many fear-based decisions that ultimately alienated itself from its disenfranchised citizens. Shortly after the United States entered World War I in 1917, the Wilson administration faced a problem. Large portions of the American population did not support the war effort. Therefore, the government felt it was necessary to pass the Espionage Act in order to facilitate a speedy victory. Wilson believed the war would require a redefinition of national loyalty, meaning that it was illegal to interfere with military operations to support the enemy cause, a crime punishable by a penalty of fines up to $10,000, a maximum 20-year imprisonment term, or even a death sentence. In truth, the act was aimed at socialists and other anti-war activists and carried out during World War I and the Red Scare, used to justify punishments for communists and radicals, eventually convicting people like socialist labor leader Eugene V. Debs and anarchists, Emma Goldman and Alexander Berkman. In essence, the Espionage Act threatened Americans to stay loyal during the war and even encouraged citizens to always be on the lookout for German spies and monitor their neighbors. Furthermore, the act gave the Postmaster General of the United States, also known as the Chief Executive Officer of the U.S. Postal Service, authority to censor any publications of newspapers and magazines and search or even confiscate citizens' private mail. Unsurprisingly, the constitutionality of the peace legislation was contested, focused on issues concerning free speech and civil liberties as part of the rights guaranteed by the First Amendment. However, the controversy over the legality of the Espionage Act only worsened with the passage of the Sedition Act the following year, further reinforcing the ideas of the former and making it illegal to insult the U.S. military constitution or flag with disloyal, profane, scurrilous, or abusive language. Wilson believed that the desperate times brought about by the war justified taking desperate measures, but the restrictions on people's freedom of speech and even expression of opinion did little to endear him to the American people. One of the most important Supreme Court decisions of the 20th century United States that challenged the constitutionality of the acts was Schenck versus United States a case regarding the enforcement of the Espionage Act, which made it illegal to obstruct the draft or encourage citizens not to enlist. As a staunch opponent of the Conscription Act, Charles Schenck mailed leaflets to draft-age men warning against the draft and that it was wrongly motivated by a capitalist system. Because of his actions, Schenck was charged with violating the Espionage Act by obstructing military recruitment and causing insubordination. During his trial, Schenck's counsel argued that the Espionage Act was unconstitutional and that Schenck was simply using his rights in the First Amendment. The case eventually came to define future understanding of the right of free speech. The Supreme Court ruled that free speech is not protected by the Constitution if it is in danger to others, using the analogy of falsely shouting fire in a crowded theater. The justices unanimously decided to uphold Schenck's conviction, and he spent six months at a federal prison as a result. The case was only the first of a series of decisions made by the government during the war that abused federal power to decide what was fair. As World War I progressed, the United States' relationship with Russia began to sour. In 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution sent Russia into a civil war, pitting the communists against the anti-communists. During the conflict, the United States had secretly supported the anti-communist cause, causing tensions with the communist government that eventually emerged victorious. Thus began the Red Scare, a widespread panic and paranoia about communism that engulfed the American people. 
The rise of the proletariat in Russia caused fears stateside about anarchy that were only heightened by the media, who falsely claimed that labor strikes by the industrial workers of the world were actually radical threats to American society. News outlets everywhere linked American striking to support for communism and the abolishment of capitalism and the wage system. Additionally, the already present mistrust of impoverished immigrants and hyphenated Americans from European cities coupled with the American working class's increasing interest in anarchy contributed to the Red Scare's era of fear of a communist or quasi-communist uprising overthrowing the United States government. At the height of the Red Scare in 1919, an Italian-American anarchist made bombs to be mailed to citizens of political and economic significance. After a failed bombing attempt on U.S. Attorney General Palmer, he ordered arrests and raids to be conducted on suspected anarchists and leftists. Using both the public's terror of immigrants and hatred of communism to his advantage, he spearheaded the effort to detain and deport supposed anarchist immigrants. During his namesake Palmer raids, Police forces trampled civil rights, invading homes and offices without warrant and jailing people without legal counsel, often brutally beating the suspects. From these raids, 6,000 citizens were arrested to be investigated, and over 500 people of foreign descent were deported from the United States. The prejudice against immigrants did not end there. Sacco and Vanzetti were two Italian immigrants and fervent adherents of anarchy who were convicted of killing a guard and paymaster. Although much of the evidence did point to the possibility that they did indeed commit the crime, they were not given a fair trial when a decision was to be made on their execution. Witness testimony was ignored, and even though another man confessed to both murders as Sacco and Vanzetti awaited the electric chair, the two were executed anyway. The public saw the trial as a blatant disregard for civil liberties, but in truth, the case was influenced by strong anti-Italian and anti-leftist prejudice that reflected the xenophobic, nativist sentiment of the decade. After the end of World War I, Europe, especially in the East and the South, was struggling to recover financially and restore order as empires fell apart and the Russian Revolution drove dissidents of the new government from Russia. Immigrants from Europe poured into the United States in hordes. The U.S. government responded by passing the Emergency Quota Act to put a limit on the number of people that could emigrate from other countries, especially Eastern and Southeastern European countries. More specifically, it restricted the number of immigrants admitted from any country to about 3% of the number of residents from that same country living in the U.S. at the time of the 1910 census. This allowed for more immigrants from Northern European than Southern and Eastern European countries to immigrate to the United States. Consequently, there was a drop of around half a million in the number of new immigrants admitted to America between the year the Emergency Quota Act was passed and the following year. This intentionally favored Northern European countries where communism wasn't as prevalent. However, the act had several figurative lines of fine print. There was no limit placed upon Latin American immigrants. Professionals were allowed in without any regulation and regardless of nationality because of their potential to help the American economy. And the act didn't apply to countries with bilateral agreements with the U.S. or to the Asian countries in the Immigration Act of 1917, which barred Asia-Pacific immigration. The immigrant groups that faced perhaps the most prejudice during the wars, however, were German and Italian Americans. Sharing ethnic backgrounds with the enemy during the world wars meant that they were often slandered and victims of crime, as well as the justice system. Germans and people of German descent made up a large portion of the population at the time, but were discriminated against nonetheless, branded enemy aliens, and given the derogatory name of Kraut, 
their traveling and property ownership rights were restricted by the government, and they were subject to hostile FBI raids in which their homes were ransacked without warrants. Finding employment was difficult, and German-Americans convicted of crimes often received unfair prison sentences. In some places, laws even limited the appearance of the German language in public places. Italian-Americans, too, were considered enemy aliens and found themselves playing the role of the scapegoat in various crimes. During this time, Italians were stereotyped as ruthless, dishonest, and violent thieves and criminals. Italians were especially resented for providing cheap immigrant labor and sending money to their families in Italy instead of spending it in the American economy. Eventually, Italians began to assimilate and anglicize their names to sound less ethnic. Unfortunately, assimilation didn't matter when President Roosevelt issued Executive Order 9066, rounding up thousands of citizens of German and Italian descent to be placed in internment camps. The group most profoundly affected by internment, however, ultimately proved to be Japanese Americans. Even before the attack on Pearl Harbor and World War II began, Japanese Americans had been racially discriminated against, with laws that restricted their right to own property, become naturalized citizens of the United States, and testify against whites in court. The metaphor of yellow peril, the xenophobic idea that East Asians were a threat to the Western world, was also prevalent during this time in the United States. This suspicion of Japanese Americans heightened to extremes after Pearl Harbor and the Nihau incident. After the second wave of attacks at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, some American citizens of Japanese descent in Hawaii tried to help a Japanese pilot who had crashed on the island of Nihau escape. Things went awry, and the incident was later reported on in a Navy report essentially claiming that Japanese Americans couldn't be trusted to not help Japan in the war effort. President Franklin Roosevelt had actually secretly made in investigations into the possibility of Japanese Americans defecting and harming the U.S. pre-Pearl Harbor. The resultant reports assured him that his fears were unfounded, and multiple argued against putting people in internment camps. Nevertheless, soon after the Navy report after the Nihau incident, Roosevelt issued Executive Order 9066, incarcerating Japanese, German, and Italian Americans in internment camps, as well as people who had immigrated from Axis countries. The order most heavily affected Japanese Americans, particularly on the West Coast. This internment was more a result of prejudice towards Japanese Americans than any other security risk they posed. 120,000 Japanese Americans faced relocation and incarceration in camps in one of 10 camps across the western interior of the country. Over two-thirds of them were natural-born U.S. citizens and considered themselves loyal to the U.S. They left their homes and businesses, many of the buildings plastered with proof of their loyalty to America, but vandalized nonetheless. For hastily prepared fairgrounds and racehorse stables surrounded by barbed wire and armed guards. In some cases, families were separated and put into different camps. Inadequate medical care, emotional stress, and being shot by guards raised death rates. People tried their best to resume normal lives, but it was difficult. Several cases related to Japanese-American internment were brought to the Supreme Court during the war. Hirabayashi and Yasui were both American-born citizens of Japanese descent who purposely violated the alien and Japanese-American curfews on their cities on separate, disconnected occasions to protest and contest the validity of the curfew and exclusion laws. The Supreme Court decided both Hirabayashi v. United States and Yasui v. United States on the same day. The court upheld the constitutionality of the curfews on even citizens of the United States. Yasui was sent to an internment camp, and Hirabayashi was imprisoned. Kuramatsu v. United States and ex part Endo were also decided on the same day in 1944. 
Kuramatsu disobeyed the internment order and even got plastic surgery to disguise himself. He challenged the constitutionality of Executive Order 9066. Ultimately, it was ruled still constitutional, and the ruling hasn't been officially overturned even today. Endo was an assimilated citizen who spoke no Japanese, had never visited Japan, had familial connections in the army, and was Christian. She was moved to a concentration camp and offered removal if she promised not to return to the West Coast. Her case's outcome ruled unanimously that the government could not detain a concedingly loyal citizen of the U.S., but didn't touch upon Japanese internment and exclusion from the West Coast. Together, Korematsu versus the United States and Expar Endo essentially said that detainment of citizens during wartime was constitutional, but internment wasn't necessarily. As World War II drew to a close, the Japanese Americans were released from the internment camps and had to rebuild their lives essentially from scratch. Still discriminated against by many who vandalized or burned their houses, they received no reparations or apologies until the Commission on Wartime Relocation and Internment of Civilians signed into effect by President Carter decades later deemed the internment of Japanese Americans an act of racial prejudice and issued subsequent apologies and payments to survivors. During the first half of the 20th century, the U.S. government made many decisions as part of its wartime and post-war policy that today we recognize as wrong and unjust. At a time when an entire nation was swept up in a frenzy of fear and suspicion, no one, not even the government, paused to consider the irrationality and repercussions of their actions. In the end, citizens had their right violated by the government repeatedly in a manner that we will hopefully never encounter again.